Now, let me start with this question this morning. Uh, for those of you here or online, would some of you say this morning that you are lacking a spiritual dimension in your life? Maybe you would say this morning you are missing something, but yet you have come or are watching because you desire to experience God. You desire to know him more, to meet him. Would you say this morning that you desire for God to work in your life, that he would be real to you? Or maybe a second category today, would you say in your heart that you desire a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, a fresh start in your spiritual journey for Jesus to draw near to you, to know him in a new way? Would you say today that you long that the Holy Spirit would come and work in you, fill you and empower you? And as you would think about those questions, if your answer to any of those or a variation of them, if your answer is yes, then the good news is, is that that is available. You can have that, that God makes it possible for us to receive him and the life that we are looking for from him. As we start this morning, let me just introduce myself. My name is Jeff Bennett privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. Welcome to all you in person and a special welcome to our Harbor online community. And the good news is we think about receiving from God what he wants to offer and how we get there. We don't need to take a survey to figure out how to do it. We, we certainly don't need to hear my ideas this morning. Where we get to go is right to the word of God and see what Luke has for us. We get to start where the gospel writers start. And Luke introduces us to a God who is real and a God who speaks into our world. A God who sees the brokenness that is going on and has life-giving words and hope for us. And here's the good news. The same God that spoke some 2,000 years ago in the time of Luke is the same God that speaks today. And the needs that he met some 2,000 years ago are the same needs that he meets today. As the passage of scripture we come to, it comes to the end and it says, we will see God's salvation or his salvation is at hand. And that is the good news of the passage today, that God's presence, that his salvation is available for us all. And so I've put the message in this category, and it may not exactly fit your category where you are today, but the two words I've chosen is the idea of spiritual renewal that spiritual renewal is available for us. Now, I know for some of you, you may be in a category where you're saying, I don't need renewal, I just need a beginning. And so I know that word doesn't fit the best. And others of you may say, no, I'm in a good place. I just want to continue to grow. And I know the word doesn't fit the best. But I, I hope that whatever state you're in, this idea of finding more of God and knowing him, what I'm entitling spiritual renewal is something that would resonate in all our hearts today. 
And so I want to show you how Luke begins to set the stage for this. So I hope you've got your Bibles. It's Luke chapter 3, and we're going to be right at the beginning. And actually, as some of you know, I'm going to be saying this quite a lot over the next year. Turn to the book of Luke, because as I talked about in November, we are beginning a series that will last all of this year through the entire book of Luke and working our way through. So if you're brand new to Harbor, that might seem a a little strange that we're going to spend a whole year in a book. If you've been around Harbor for the last two years, uh, here's what you know. We haven't spent any time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, so you're saying it's about time we got to the life of Jesus. But wherever you find yourself on that journey, here's the good news. The Word of God is always relevant. Wherever we open it up, it's always got something for us. But here's one of the reasons that I just wanted to spend uh, this time, this next, uh, through the whole book of Luke. And it comes to us, uh, I want to show you this quote on the screens from J.T. English in a book called Deep Discipleship. And this was part of my heart for this series. Here's what he writes. The message of cultural Christianity and deep biblical holistic discipleship are at odds and cannot be reconciled. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is the idea that people may be satisfied with the church but bored with Jesus. It terrifies me that people may enjoy the sermon, participate in small groups, volunteer on one of our teams, and be completely satisfied by their experience, yet spiritually apathetic towards the person and the work of Christ. And the longer that you've been in church, I think probably the more that quote, you, you identify with that quote and see the danger of it. That we can get stuck in cultural Christianity, but yet if we looked at our hearts, we would be bored with Jesus, apathetic towards him. In my heart of working through an entire book of the Bible and seeing how Luke introduces us and then tells us all about Jesus, here's the goal, is that we would go through this and love Jesus more. That would fill our hearts. And there's certainly nothing wrong with taking individual stories of Jesus' life and looking at those as we often do. But yet as you see how Luke unfolds the whole story of Jesus... He's writing this book to a man named Theopolis to help him understand Jesus. And so he writes strategically and he builds as he goes along through the life of Jesus. And I hope as we process it in the same way, we will feel a growing love and appreciation for Christ. Here's the theme verse. The slide is wrong. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. I made up the slide in case you're wondering. Uh, but here's the theme verse. And I know it's not from Luke. But here's our heart for this series and for today. And we who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Here's what that verse teaches us, what Paul writes in Corinthians. When we contemplate the Lord's glory, when we look at Jesus and all that he is, something happens we are transformed into his image, ever-increasing transformation. And that's what I hope happens in this series. We just get to contemplate Jesus, his glory, how wonderful he is as we see Luke unfold him to us. And as we do that, as we do that, may, may the spirit of the God and the word of God transform us ever-increasingly to be more like Jesus. 
So this morning we're introducing this in Luke chapter 3. We did chapters 1 and 2, the Christmas story. Now we're in about AD 29, about 30 years late or 30 years later or so from where we left off in chapter 2. The need in the land is for spiritual renewal. There is great need in the land of Israel as we open Luke chapter 3. And here's the first idea that I just want you to see. And then I'll read the verses and you'll have no idea how I got this idea from the verses I'm going to read. But I'll tell you at the beginning and then I'll explain where it comes from. Here's the principle. Spiritual renewal comes despite the bleakness of our circumstances. So I have three things that I want to say about spiritual renewal today. And if you're in that category of looking for spiritual renewal, the first idea is no matter your circumstance, no matter how dark or bleak, spiritual renewal can come there. Now, let me read verse 1 and the second half or the first half of verse 2. You can follow along in your Bibles. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Itura and Traconia, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caphias. I can't say that one. Uh, and I think I might have pronounced some other ones wrong, just in case you're wondering. But if you just read quickly and sound confident, it all works out well. That's what I did the first service as well. So you may wonder, you know, it's just names. If you were reading, what does this represent? Well, it represents a bleak situation. First five names there all represent non-Gentile or Gentile non-Jewish leaders. And they all represent in different ways the ruling authority in Israel at this time. And if you're marking the history of the people of Israel, they are an occupied land. The Romans are there, they are in control, they're taxing heavily, and as we know about any occupied people, you hate it when you are occupied. And especially for the Jews, because the Romans were pagans, they had many idols, and they disdained the Jewish God, the true, one and true living God, Jehovah, and they disdained the Jewish people. And so as we mark those first five names, we mark the bleakness of the political situation that the people of Luke chapter 3 find themselves in. The last two names represent the high priest and his father-in-law who are now ruling the religious establishment of the day. And this also represents real bleakness. These men had a power grip on the temple and were using it for their own advantage. There was great corruption. When you came to the temple to offer your required tithe, you couldn't offer it in a Roman coin, which everyone had. You had to exchange it for a temple coin, a Jewish coin. And they had all these uh, money exchangers in the temple courts. And you had to pay a very high exchange rate, which the temple leaders, the high priests here, which they controlled. And so they were making enormous money, not only off the offering, but also off the exchange rate. If you think your bank fees are bad today, just think of what it was then, even worse. Then secondly, they were also making an enormous amount of money on the sacrifices that were coming in because they controlled what, a, uh, what an appropriate sacrifice would be. 
Think of it in this way. You're a farmer in northern Galilee. You're coming down to the temple to offer your offering, you know, for forgiveness of sin. So you look at your herd of sheep. You pick out your best sheep to honor the Lord, the one that is unblemished and pure. You choose it. You bring it down to Jerusalem. You're ready there to give it as an offering for the Lord for forgiveness of your sins. The priest meets you there and he says, oh, I'm sorry, this doesn't qualify. And you're like, it was my very best. And he's like, no, see, it's blemished. It's got a blemish on it. You, you can't offer this. And then you sort of say, you know, well, what do I do? And then the priest says, oh, we've got some sheep right over here. You know, pre-certified sheep. Now, welcome for you to purchase. The price is a little bit high, but you're welcome to purchase them. And that's what they were doing in the temple. Incredible religious corruption in the day. And not only that, as we will see play out later on, there's the hypocrisy and uh, the um, legalism of the Pharisees. So not only do you have this geopolitical bleakness, but you also have this religious darkness and weight during this time. But as you think about those seven names, you know, they would have thought in this moment they're in control of history, they're, you know, running their worlds, but yet behind them we see the purposes of God. In fact, if you look at those names again, you may recognize four of them. We recognize those names today. We are talking about these people, not for what they did, but, before, but because of their role in Jesus' death. If not for Jesus, we know none of these people, and Jesus hasn't even entered the scene. But what we can mark in these words is not only the darkness and the bleakness of the situation, but that in the midst of this, it's like we don't see the big picture. And here God is working behind the scenes and Jesus is coming. And here's what I want to just say as a word of comfort to any of you here today. Our world is not unlike this world. Desperate, dark, depressing, and bleak. But in the midst of that, God still comes. He still brings spiritual renewal. He still works in people's hearts. And no matter what your situation this morning, God still offers his life to any of us who would receive it. That's the message here as we open up Luke 3 during that time. And it's the message for us today. I heard an illustration this week that helped me understand this a little bit more. It's the illustration of a lumberjack who's been charged with cutting down, you know, 10 or 15 trees in a little area surrounded by some rocky hills. And so as he enters to cut down these trees to do his job, a, he notices about the same time a bird flies in and enters with him and begins to build a nest in one of the trees. And he's a loving and caring lumberjack and he realizes that he's going to cut down this tree. And so he doesn't want the bird to build the nest there because he knows he'll ruin it and maybe destroy her, her nest or her, the eggs or the little birds that have hatched. And so he goes over and bangs on the tree, makes some noise, and the bird sort of picks up that something's happening, and she decides to, to move on, but yet she just flies to another tree. And so then the lumberjack goes to the other tree, again, because he's kind and gracious, and he bangs on the tree and makes more noise. And the bird sort of picks up, this isn't the best tree, and flies to another tree. And so they sort of repeat this pattern with him making more noise and the bird getting a little more agitated where finally the bird figures out that the trees are not working and then flies over to the rocky hills and finds a place and begins to build her nest there on the rock. Now that simple illustration 
is often what our lives are like. We are like the bird. We don't see what God is doing in the big picture. We just would like to settle where we are and be comfortable and build our nest. Yet for some reason, God is allowing noise and someone knocking on the tree of our life. And we just forget that in all things, God has a purpose and a plan. And ultimately, in all things, God is trying to do something. He's trying to do something no matter where you are today. Here's what God is trying to do. He's trying to get you to fly to the rock. And the rock is Christ to build your life upon him. Again, we don't see all the situations, all the circumstances, but again, whatever the bleakness, whatever the darkness, whatever the desperation in your life today, wouldn't you just fly to the rock and rest on him? Spiritual renewal is available there. That's our first idea this morning of where spiritual renewal comes from. It comes in the midst of any situation. Here's the second one. It starts in the second half of verse two. It's simply this. Spiritual renewal starts with God. Spiritual renewal starts with God. Let me read the scripture for you. You can see it in your Bibles. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went out into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so now John the Baptist steps onto the scene. He's been hiding out in isolation. Now suddenly and dramatically, John is on the scene and he is preaching. It's like God is raising the curtain that we're going to see before our eyes unfold of the greatest drama that will ever happen in human history. The drama of Jesus and his life. And John jumps, or Luke jumps right in here to tell us about John. He doesn't tell us about his life or his uh, appearance. We do know from Matthew and Mark, he wore a camel hair outfit. Luke doesn't tell us about his diet, eating locusts and wild honey. Luke just gets right into what his message was. The baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But, but I like, I just want to draw your attention back to the first line there. It says this, the word of God came to John. I like how Luke records that. It wasn't John was in the wilderness and got a great idea. Oh, here's what I think I can do. It wasn't John was sitting around seeing a problem and said, hey, I think I can make a difference in the world. Not that those things are bad, but what happened? The word of God came to John. God bypasses the seven rulers of the day and a whole lot of other people goes out to the wilderness and finds this lone man named John the Baptist and calls him into ministry. The way this is written, it's written so we are clear that John is a prophet in the line of all the prophets that have come from God. Jeremiah was called in much the same way. It's been 425 years since the land of Israel has heard a prophet, but now God calls John. The word of God came to him and John has a message. It's not really his own. It's the dynamic word of God that he is going to preach. And again, here's the good news. In the midst of whatever dark situation you're in, however bleak it is, spiritual renewal always starts with God. God is initiating this. He is at work and he is doing something. 
we might say this, God is calling. God calls in the midst of our circumstance, calls us towards spiritual renewal. Here's what a call is. It's a summons from the king of the universe. And when the king of the universe calls, it has so much power that it brings about the response that it asks for in people's hearts. And that's what God is doing here. He's calling John. You see that the word of God came to John. And then look at the beginning of verse 3. I just so love this. It's the only, the only answer we have. When God calls, what did John do? And he went. He obeyed. God called and John obeyed. Spiritual renewal always starts with God, but it leaves us with an opportunity, a response of obedience in our hearts. And so as we just think about that this morning, this call of God on John's life, let me just give several different application points that may be relevant, some of them, hopefully all of them may be, or some of them may be relevant to each of you today. Let me just be really specific here first. This is, this is a call to ministry. God calls John to go out and preach his word. And so a specific application today may be you may feel in your heart that God is calling you to some sort of Christian ministry. You may feel like this is happening, that the word of God is coming to you and God is calling you deeper into his ministry, maybe in a vocational sense. And if you are sensing that today, you should investigate that. You should you look into that. You should pursue that. Now, there's other factors that lead to a call, but certainly if you're feeling that, you should move forward in that. Here's a second application point. As you might think about a call in your life, maybe for some of you today, you've wandered away from God. You've gone your own way. You've disobeyed him. You're out doing something that you know you should not be doing. You're in a place or an area or a relationship or some something in your life, and you know you've wandered. And this morning, the initiation, the call of God for spiritual renewal is come back. Come back to me. Come back to God. For others of you, it might be this. Even as I read that opening quote, you'd say in your heart that you've just grown bored with Jesus, apathetic with Jesus. And maybe the initiation of God in your heart today towards spiritual renewal is just come and pursue me. Return to your first love. Find me again and fall in love with Jesus again. Look at his glory. And then one last application point, because ultimately John's call here is not about himself, it's for other people. And as we think about ministering to others, I'll just highlight what's going on this week at Harbor. You'll see on the screen the two things happening. Tomorrow is Fam Jam. Praise God, almost all the boxes sold out. If you're participating tomorrow, have a wonderful day. But for all of us, let's be praying that as we as a church have been generous and are seeking to love and give families a great family day, that God may use that, use something in all that's happening tomorrow to help call people towards himself. And then next Sunday, as you heard announced, is Why Jesus Sunday. Be praying that maybe someone who receives a box might respond to the call of God to join us next Sunday as I speak on that topic. Or maybe some of you will encounter someone this week that you want to invite to join you to hear next week's message on why Jesus. The good news there in any of these things, as we seek to invite, is God is already working in people's hearts. 
We just pray that we'd be able to find and encounter the people that God is already calling and then cooperate with God in an invitation or in, a, in their response. So here's the first two things we've learned about spiritual renewal. The first is, no matter your circumstance, God brings spiritual renewal. The second thing is spiritual renewal, and this is so encouraging that it always starts with God, that God is always moving towards us. And now here's the third idea, and you'll see it on the screen. Spiritual renewal takes unmistakable preparation. Spiritual renewal takes preparation on our side, and it needs to be evident, unmistakable, I called it. Let me just continue reading and follow along at verse four. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet. So now we're sort of hearing a quote from Luke that John the Baptist would have said as well. Here's the prophecy given 700 years earlier. You know, sometimes we, we doubt the word of God. You know, nothing else lasts in this world, but here we see the promises of God last. 700 years before this moment, Isaiah predicted there would be a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Well, who's that? It's John the Baptist. Promise fulfilled. He is now on the scene. And what does John the Baptist say? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John's out in the wilderness. He's been there since he's probably been young. But now he walks onto the scene and he says, everyone, get ready. Prepare yourselves. The king is coming. And when Isaiah wrote this some 700 years earlier, what people would have understood is oftentimes when a king was coming to a city or to a village, he would send a messenger ahead of him. And the messenger would say, the king is coming, prepare yourselves. And what people would do is they would, you know, clean up the road the king was going to work on. Sometimes if they had enough notice, they might build a new highway or a, a new path so the king didn't get lost, so he didn't have to go on a windy route so that he didn't trip and fall. They were like, our king is coming and we want to honor him and we want to get ready for him he we want to show him how much we love him the dignity and the worth of who he is and that's what John is saying the king is coming prepare yourselves and this is a massive project that Isaiah is predicting it's a massive project valleys are being raised up mountains are being lowered crooked roads are being straightened out what does that mean? It wasn't geographical. It was in the hearts of people. And the message here to every person is this. Get your personal life ready. The king is coming. The message was to all of Israel. Get your corporate life together. Your religious life. The king is coming. And what we see, part of the ministry of John the Baptist is, and we'll see this over the next two weeks, is his ministry is to take away the false confidence that people had in their standing with God. John the Baptist is saying, you're not ready. He's saying, we're not ready as a nation and you're not ready as individuals. He's destroying their, their false confidence they had in just in their heritage, just in their identity. And, and here's the principle that we learned from John as he is trying to get people ready. Here's what it is, that to get right with God, you have to first admit you're not right with God. To get right with God, 
you first have to admit you're not right with God. It seems counterintuitive. It's a paradox. But if you become aware that you are not right with God, you are now on the journey to being right with him because you realize there's a problem. You realize that you're out of favor with him. You realize the depth of the sinfulness of your own heart. And maybe you might be here this morning or watching online and you sort of think, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay with God. I've been okay with God all my life. I'm a good person. I do good things. That's not the message of John the Baptist. His message is prepare, get your heart ready. And it's a massive thing that needs to be undertaken. It's repentance. It's turning from our sinful ways. It's taking an honest dealing with the condition of our hearts. What might some of this represent? Well, it's the filth of the hidden things. It's the mountains, the high things, the pride and the self-righteousness. It's the crooked things, the devious and the deceptions of our heart. And what John the Baptist through Isaiah is proclaiming that if you want spiritual renewal, you need to take unmistakable preparation. And what is the preparation? The preparation is one of repentance, one of to prepare our hearts in a pathway that Christ can come into. Now the last line is the best line. It's all, and it says this, and all people will see God's salvation. Now I started at the beginning. If we desire spiritual renewal, it is available. You can have it. This is what, this is what is being proclaimed in this passage. All people will see the salvation of God. This is the global reach of the message of Jesus. There's no person that's excluded. There's no boundary that it cannot cross. Now, here's what is being said here. They're not saying everyone will be saved. But what the prophecy is, what John the Baptist proclaimed, is anyone can be saved who would simply turn from their sin, repent of that, and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the prophecy that John the Baptist proclaims in his day and age and to our day and age. Spiritual renewal is available, but we must make changes in our lives. We must repent of our sin. So here's the three ideas this morning of what we learn about spiritual renewal. One is that no matter how dark or bleak your circumstance, God wants to come. The second one is this, is that God initiates spiritual renewal. And if you feel him tugging on your heart today, that's him. And then our response to that is repentance. That we would change the state of our lives. That we would adjust. That we would get rid of our sin. Repent of it. Prepare a pathway into our heart and life that would welcome the king. And if you've never done that before, if you're here this morning and you have never would say there's been a moment in your life where you've turned from your sin and trusted in God, where there's never been a mo moment where you've realized you were not right with God. But this morning, if you would recognize that you are not right with God, then wouldn't you come to him, trust in him, trust in what Christ did on the cross for you and be right with him. God will save you. He will bring spiritual life into your soul. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you that no matter who we are, no matter where we are, 
God, your salvation is near. It is at hand. God, you uh, beckon us. You call to each of us. And so, God, as this morning we've gathered, Lord, what we confess as a people and as a church, what we need more of this week than anything else is more of you. And so, God, may we come to you now. Lord, may we receive the renewal and the life that you offer us. And may you help us this week, Lord, uh, to walk in the steps that you have laid out for us. Lord, for those that need strength to repent, to turn from sin, to leave it behind, oh God, may you give your extra grace today for them, we pray. And God, an extra sense of your love and mercy in their lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to close our service in a moment, but what I'm going to do as I seek to do that and say the four words we end every service with is just invite you to stand. I'm going to read just one, two verses here that give us a little sense of benediction today, of worship of Christ, and then I'll send us off. Here's the words from Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Harbor, you are sent.